So today we're actually going to be looking at a certain book in the Bible that I personally have a huge bias for, and as a kid, actually was one of the first um, the first books of the Bible that I read uh, uh, in its entirety, um, and you'll see why uh, for obvious reasons. But we're going to be looking at the book of First Timothy. Um, so with that, let's begin First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse eleven to twelve, and we'll read in the New King James Version. And it says this, it says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight, or fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So before we dive into this chapter or in this passage, uh, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the background of the book of First Timothy. And as you guys know, I am a guy that really enjoys looking at the context and whatnot to kind of put things in perspective. Um, so First Timothy uh, is a part of a collection of letters or a part of a collection of books that are written by Paul uh, and they're called the pastoral epistles or in other words, the pastoral books okay, or the pastoral letters. And the books that are included in this is First Timothy, Second Timothy and the book of Titus. Now, what's interesting about these letters is that when we look at Paul's other writings, typically they're directed towards a church. But these are the only three books where we find Paul uh, directly um, writing this letter to an individual. And in this case, in the book of 1 Timothy, he's writing directly to uh, Timothy. Um, and uh, in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to uh, this man that has been leading, or this young man that's been leading and dealing with issues at the church of Ephesus. Um, and so if that rings a bell, the book of Ephesus or the church of Ephesus has a letter that's already been written to them, which is the book of Ephesians. Um, now, word had come to Paul about this church, about the church of Ephesus, that there was some trouble. Uh, and the trouble that they were facing in their time was that there were false teachings and false understandings of what the gospel message was. And people were going around teaching these many different things. And so in this letter, we find Paul addressing these certain issues. Um, so we're not going to talk necessarily about these issues in particular, um, but just know that if you were to read uh, the bulk of First Timothy, you'll see that Paul is pinpointing different things that are happening in the church of Ephesus. Now, uh, the structure of this letter begins and it ends with a commission or a command or a calling that Paul gives to Timothy. It's more of a reminder of the calling that he already had. Um, and like I said, the body of the, ish, uh, the letter talks about the different issues that the Church of Ephesus uh, faced. And what we just read here is the end of the book of 1 Timothy, which was uh, the reminder of the calling and the commission that Timothy has in his work. Now, in uh, 1997, uh, a lot of things happened in 1997. Uh, some of you guys were not even born. But in 1997, uh, Disney released a movie. Um, and I would ask if you guys knew which movie they released in 1997. But that's a very broad question. Uh, so I don't expect you guys to know that. Um, 
But Disney released a movie uh, called Hercules. Is anyone familiar with this movie? Uh, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. Okay, I see some hands. Uh, yeah, uh, younger people, like much younger people, you're probably like, what is that? What is Hercules, right? Uh, but when I was growing up, I remember watching this movie once. Uh, but basically, uh, the story, um, which I thought was a little odd at the time, and I still think it's a little odd. Uh, basically, it's about this boy or this lad that can't control his strength, right? Uh, and his name is Hercules, and he's considered an outcast because of it, right? He can't control his powers or whatever. Um, and of course, because of that, he's wondering and reflecting and thinking, like, why am I like this? Like, why, like where does this power and strength come from? Like, this is kind of weird. Uh, but then his foster parents reveal to him uh, that when they found him, he had a necklace that was with him. And so basically that prompts a journey in which Hercules goes on to find out exactly where he's from, what his purpose is, and who he is as a person, right? Uh, but one of the hit songs from that movie, um, and of course me being the musician that I am, uh, I, I enjoy listening to the music and the uh, things that uh, these movies have. But one of the songs is uh, called Go the Distance. Are you guys familiar with that song? And some of you guys are like, yeah, okay, I know that song. Some of you guys are like, oh, I don't know that song. Uh, but basically, he's singing this song, and it's kind of like his declaration and his like prayer uh, in search of finding like who he really is, right, and where he belongs. And I'm not going to go through all the lyrics of this song because it's not necessary. But for the sake of example and the direction that I want to go, part of the song, it goes like this. It says, and I won't look back. I can go the distance. And I'll stay on track. No, I won't accept defeat. It's an uphill slope. But I won't lose hope till I go the distance and my journey is complete. Okay, so uh, this ideal, right, just as Hercules was determined and motivated to go the distance, okay, we too as Christians are going to learn that Paul gives a calling and a commission to Timothy to go the distance. And as we look at this commission, as what we just looked here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we too can learn how to go the distance, okay? Now, one of the big misconceptions of the Christian race and our faith journey that we're all on is that uh, when we decide to follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. If I follow Jesus, my life will be easy. If I follow Jesus, he will take care of everything for me. If I follow Jesus, my life will be green pastures, red roses, and still waters, right? If I follow Jesus, there will be no troubles. Uh, and I think very special last night during Vespers, I asked this question if they agreed or disagree with this idea. And everyone uh, that shared said that they disagree, um, which I am very thankful for. But it's a big misconception that we teach and we talk about. Um, and a lot of times, like in like children's stories or children books and uh, lessons that we find, uh, it's often taught that way. It's a sweet and simple message. Just follow Jesus and everything will be okay, right? Uh, but in reality, it's actually a message that paints an inaccurate image of who God is, but also the reality of what our race is like. Um, there's an author of the book by the name of uh, Eugene Patterson, and he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And there's this quote that I want to share with you guys that kind of highlights the reality of what um, our church is like. So it, you'll see it on the screen here. Um, one, of the, uh, one aspect of world... Uh, that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. 
It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is technically difficult or terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to be born again, but the evidence for mature Christian uh, discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes onto the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient uh, acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. You see, the Bible speaks a lot about trials and tribulations that we all eventually will face. Even Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, right? To take up our cross and to follow him. We find that in Matthew chapter 16. And the last time I checked, uh, to carry your cross does not sound like an easy thing. It's not all bliss and joy. John 15 verse 18 says that if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So the Bible paints this picture okay, that is very opposite to what the world imagines it to be or what the world wants it to be. Right? We paint this picture that everything is quick, everything is easy, it's great, it's fun, fantastic, just follow Jesus and no worries. Right? But this is where people lose it. Right? People fall apart because people now have this very toxic level of doubt about their faith and about who God is. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that if you choose to follow Jesus or if you live your life for Christ, that it's going to be all terrible. Not at all, right? Because if you truly live a life in Christ, it actually is a blessing. And there are so many things that we can find satisfaction in. There's a bigger joy and something that only God can satisfy and give. But if we only paint it as, as well, this is all that there is to it, then that's when we run into some very deep challenges. You see, this is the point. If we look at our faith race as all joy and happiness, we're basically describing it as if it were a 100-meter dash. But the Bible points to our faith as one that requires a fight, which is more like a marathon. Okay? So I believe that one of the forgotten tasks in our Christian race is not about how we just start, it's about how we finish, right? Just as Eugene Patterson described in his book, it's easy for people to get caught up um, with, with, with just looking at God and the gospel message and initially grabbing onto it. But then when it comes to maintaining and sustaining that for the long run, uh, it can die and fade away very quickly. Um, so it's in this faith race uh, that we've all been set on and that we're all on right now that there will be many obstacles. And we have to emphasize that the Christian walk has these challenges. Okay? So I want you to think about actually running a marathon. And we've used this example before. But if you've actually ran a marathon, uh, you know that it's not a walk in the park. You know it's not easy. There's hours of preparation, days of training mentally, physically, right? that can lead up to a successful attempt and run of a marathon. And so in the same way, our spiritual lives and our races require this kind of preparation and training. And that's the stuff that's hard. And that's the stuff we need to emphasize. So what Paul does, just like a coach at halftime when you're, you're uh, against uh, a rival, right, reminds Timothy that there is a game plan still and the challenges uh, that are going to be ahead of him. But he reminds Timothy 
to go the distance, even if it's not going to be easy. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at four different keys, four different commands that Paul gives to Timothy um, so that we can also uh, successfully run our race. So the first one, Nathan, if you can go to that slide, I don't know if it's there. Okay. First slide, uh, flee. Okay. So the beginning of 1 Timothy 6 verse 11, next slide it says, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Okay. So we discussed this last Sabbath as well, but it's so important that we look at the words that are being used in our passage, right? If we simply just take it for what it is here, then we may miss something much greater, okay? But we're looking here, it says, but you, okay? But you what, right? Flee these things. What are these things? Uh, Last night, um, the youth also questioned that. What are these things? I think Austin was the one that kind of noticed that. And he was like, what, what is these things talking about? What is that being referred to? Uh, but if you look here, the words, but you, um, distinguishes that there was something before this passage, right? And so if you look through First uh, Timothy um, chapter 6, verse 3 to 10, you'll see that Paul is he's talking to Timothy about the issues in the church. He's pointing out different false practices that are distorted and uh, that have corrupted the gospel message. But we find also specifically in ch- verses 6 to 10, we find this very well-known, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil kind of section, right? Where he's talking about money and greed and envy and things like that. So what Paul is saying here in verse 11, he's saying when he says to flee from these things, he's referring to these errors and the misrepresentation that the church of Ephesus has created of the gospel. It's a call to flee from things like immorality, from idolatry, from lust, from the love of money, from false doctrine. So one of the things that I find fascinating when we see this uh, is the way that Timothy is addressed by Paul as well. Right. The power to identify or the power of identity is so crucial to the logic that we find here in Paul's command. This identification is what? Oh, man of God. Right. Which indicates and dictates a lifestyle in which is in contrast to that of the world. Even just him saying, but you, he's creating a very distinct uh, contrast between what the world is and who he is uh, as a person. So Paul is giving Timothy this reminder. He's saying that you're different than the world. You are a man of God. And because you are a man of God, your actions of fleeing from wickedness, from these things that I've mentioned just now, is obvious. So when it comes to our faith raised, we must be reminded that we are children of God, that you are a man and you are a woman of God. And Paul reminds us that because of the way we have been identified, we are naturally and obviously should be able to flee from evil. You see, to run the race, we must learn to flee from wickedness. Okay, That's the first point. That's the first action point. Uh, the next one, pursue. Okay. But you, uh, for uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, the second part of that says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You see, one of the big things that I, I believe that we as a church kind of face 
when it comes to young people struggling with what they believe in and coming to church and things like that, uh, is that Christianity, in a way, restricts them. Christianity makes their life boring. Okay? For example, think about it this way. Uh, when I was growing up, when it came to the Sabbath, the Sabbath was not a day that I necessarily looked forward to. And some of you younger people maybe feel that way as well. The Sabbath is not necessarily a day you look forward to. Because why? Because the Sabbath seems to be a day where it's like, you can do this, but it's more about don't do that, don't do this, don't, don't watch TV, don't read these books, don't play with your friends, don't go on the computer, don't use your phone, right? And so the Sabbath becomes painted as this restricting kind of day. And in turn, because of that, I feel like a lot of young people in our Adventist churches see this association and think that, well, if the Sabbath is restricting like this, then religion or my Christianity, my faith, also restricts me. Uh, but this is the point, and it's a very important one that we have to remember. You see, Christianity doesn't call us to just flee from the world. Christianity calls us to flee and then to pursue God. And unfortunately, this is what happens, right? We teach our youth and, we, and our churches that we flee from sin, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Avoid these things. And, and we focus so much on that that we forget that fleeing is only half the battle. Fleeing is half of the command that God gives us in the Bible, right? When we fail to do the other half, we find ourselves in the exact same place that we started, in having to always flee from sin, from temptations, and all these terrible things. You see, Paul understands this very clearly, and he reminds Timothy, yes, flee from wickedness, flee from immorality, flee from sin, but... You must also now do the reverse, which is to pursue. Okay? And it's not pursue evil, wickedness, immorality. It's, it's pursue what is right. Pursue what is godly. Pursue what is faithful, what is lovely, what is patient, what is gentle. You see, the word pursue is actually kind of interesting in the Greek because the implications of it, it goes along the lines of, I pursue, hence I persecute, right? And you might be thinking like, whoa, persecute is kind of a, kind of a scary, like negative connotation, right? Like persecute, like you have to pursue and then persecute? Like what does that mean? Okay. Uh, but the Greek language is showing uh, the intensity of how we are to pursue, okay? It's not a pursue like, uh, I, I, like I, I want to pursue like a nap because I'm kind of sleepy, I'm tired. Like I want to just kind of lay down, right? Um, but it's like, oh, well, I, I don't really need it. This is a pursuit that is invoking this go all in, go all for it. As if you were persecuting something, okay, go all in for it. Because you believe that it is so valuable and so precious to you. Paul is reminding Timothy to pursue like he means it. To pursue aggressively. To chase as a hunter chases its hunt. Pursue with haste as if your life depended on it. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you are pursuing? When God calls us and Paul is calling Timothy to flee from wickedness, to flee from evil, yet pursue these six different things, what are we pursuing as Christians? When you pursued your career path, because you, you pursued it because it had value to you. If you are a student and you are pursuing a degree, you are pursuing that degree because it has some kind of value. When you pursued a spouse or somebody that you loved, it's because that individual was so precious. But do we as a church have this same kind of intensity, the same kind of level of pursuit, that we pursue what is good, that we are pursuing God, 
Okay? To run the race, we must learn to pursue what is good. Number three, the third action point or the third command that Paul gives is to fight. Okay? 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, the first part says, fight the good fight of faith. Paul is directing Timothy to fight. Okay? Uh, fight here in the Greek, we talked about last week on Hebrews about this race or this contest, but it's actually the same connotation. The same root word uh, in the Greek for fight, as we talked about last week, is agon. Okay? And it's translated uh, as race, of a race, fight. Um, but in the Greek, to remind you, it's a connotation of this struggle, right? Struggling, to strive, striving, to contend as if you were contending with an enemy. So this fight, the nature of the fight that Paul is talking about here is reminding Timothy that it's going to be a fight of vigor. It's going to be a fight with uh, determination. It's going to be a difficult one, but it's going to be worth it in the end. But that leads us to wonder, what is this fight for? Why is Paul telling Timothy to fight? Okay. Are we fighting for status? Are we fighting for leadership? Are we fighting for money? What exactly is it that we're fighting for? But very interestingly, Paul says that this fight, this energy, needs to be directed to fighting the good fight of faith. And maybe some of your translations, I know if you have a New International Version, your translation may say, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, the meaning changes slightly with both translations. Uh, scholars actually argue which one is the correct translation. Uh, but regardless of which translation is correct, there are two powerful lessons that we can take away from uh, this single line right here. First of all, when Paul is telling Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, Paul is referring to the whole of Christian life as a race, right? He's talking about the general, this is the struggles that we will encounter, and so we must fight, we must carry on, we must pursue, and we must flee, and we must do all of these things as we continue our Christian race, right? To have perseverance, to have hope, and the willpower to keep pushing forward, to go the distance. But second, if we look at it as fight the good fight of the faith, we see the context clues that Paul is alluding to. And Paul is alluding to the slander and the misrepresentation of the gospel message that the church of Ephesus is dealing with, right? And he's encouraging Timothy to defend the gospel message, that the gospel message has this truth that is so precious and valuable. Let not people take that and turn that into something else, right? To uphold the standard and the beauty of what the gospel message is all about. That there is something honorable something worthy, something noble about this message that we should fight for and that we should all be fighting for. Right? I think the lesson is clear here. When Paul says to fight the good fight of faith or the faith, Paul's encouragement and reminder tells us to defend our beliefs, to stand up for what the gospel message has to say, to let us preserve in this race while fighting the good fight of faith. You see, to run the race... We must learn to fight for the faith. We must learn to defend what we believe in. The last action point that Paul describes um, is to take hold. Verse 12, the last part says, To lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Imagine with me okay, what's happening right now in uh, Timothy's time. Okay. Timothy is this young leader that's trying to lead this church that has all of these issues and problems. He's trying to lead this church into the gospel message and the truth. 
But because of the problems that the church is having, uh, he's having a hard time. He's struggling. He's exhausted. And he's trying to stay positive. And he's trying to stay planted in uh, the gospel message. And Paul is sending this letter as a reminder. But also he's sending it as an encouragement to keep pushing forward. To stay strong and to preserve in his race. And Paul is reminding Timothy of the whole point of all of this, of our Christian faith in our walk. And he's reminding Timothy specifically about this promise of eternal life. To remember the promise that the gospel message is pointing to Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus is who leads us into a life of eternity. That is the reward and the benefit in which comes um, from taking hold of this gospel message. When we are called to the gospel message, the message of eternal life with our Savior, there is a hope and something for all of us to look forward to. Our race is not being run in vain. We're not just running this race because we have no idea what we're doing, like a chicken with its head cut off. That's not the whole point of the race, right? Our race is a race that has a reward. As Isaiah mentioned in the first week, there is a race where there is an imperishable crown awaiting us. We are all called, and we have this race that has been set before us. Paul continues to say, To which you have also called, and have confessed the good confession of the presence of many witnesses. We may be thinking, like, okay, what does this have to do? But I strongly believe that when Paul says this to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of his public confession of baptism. That when he confessed to the public and said, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is my calling from God. That I'm going to serve God and to spread this gospel message to those around me. You see, Paul is reminding Timothy of the moment, the day in which we also have been given a commission to go and live a life for Christ. To live against the grains of this world. To go and spread the gospel message. You see... Paul is using the things that Timothy has gone through in his youth as he's grown up strong in the faith to remind him and encourage him that, hey, you're doing a great job and there is something wonderful waiting at the finish line. But continue to preserve in your faith. Continue to share the gospel. Continue to defend it. Continue to flee from wickedness. And continue to pursue what is good. You see, to run the race, we must learn to take hold of the promise of eternal life. Church, as we close today, I want to highly encourage you to all ponder upon these four commands as we run our faith race, to flee from wickedness, to pursue what is good, to uh, fight the good fight for the faith, and to take hold on the promise of a reward. Just as Paul shared again, you know, I think this, this is a really beautiful analogy that he uses. And in his second letter to Timothy, he, he says this. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. He shares with Timothy again. He says, I have fought the good faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid off for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved is appearing. Church, Paul wraps up this ideal of, of these four action points. And he's reminding Timothy, hey, what you are doing is beautiful. I have done my part. I have finished my race. Now it's your turn. 
And it's your turn to share that, to defend that, to allow other people and to enable them to also run their race. And you see, the great thing about this is, is the prize. The finish line is not just a reward for me, but it's for all of those, all the lives that you have touched, that you have impacted, that you have inspired, and that you have introduced the gospel message to them. You see, church, the words that Paul states to Timothy in his second letter, I pray that we too, all of us, one day, we can share these words together. I pray that we can proclaim victoriously that we have all fought the good fight, that we have all finished our race, that we have all kept our faith. Church, I pray that this is the challenge in which we uh, take hold of as we ponder upon these four things. I pray that this Sabbath will be an opportunity for you to reflect on your own Christian race and to see how you can apply these four things to flee, to pursue, to fight, and to take hold. As we run this race together, church, let us uplift one another and let us finish our race. Let's pray. Let's pray.